this summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Uh, Thank you this morning that you are giving us your Holy Spirit so that we might worship you. We pray now that you would give us your Holy Spirit to understand and to receive your word, that it may transform our life and that our faith might be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is great to be with you today. Um, Hold on one second. Stop, reset, start. Sorry, just a little insider how priests work up here. You want a little stopwatch so that you guys can uh, get somewhere later. You know, we wouldn't want you to be here until 3 o'clock sometimes. Um, so, uh, good morning. It's great to be together. I, um, we're coming to the end of a series on the Psalms. We've been in it all summer, and it's a series that I found incredibly helpful. It's called Let's Be Honest, Praying the Psalms. And we've been looking at a different psalm, a different type each week, and we're coming to an end. Uh, Next week is our last one. And today uh, we are taking up psalms of lament. Um, I wonder, has any, have any of you ever done a trust fall? Anybody ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? It it used to be that, you know, like your employer would take you off on a retreat in order to get you to do some things so that you would develop a better team and you would feel like you could trust one another. Um, Over the years, I've done these with the youth group where we've gone to retreat centers and it's helped build community within the church. Now, if you haven't done one, I'm guessing you've seen it. One person stands on a ledge, maybe four or five feet up. Uh, Six or so people make two lines standing opposite each other, and they stretch out the arms so that when the person closes their eyes and falls backwards, they are caught, hopefully, in the loving arms of their teammates, right? Uh, you know, uh, so I don't know. We actually do this much anymore. Perhaps it was because people kept dropping the people they didn't like. Um, you know, well, the boss is there. Well, why don't you go first and show us how that's done? All right, and he's up there and he's crossing his arms like he's about to fall back in a casket, right? And he, um, and he falls back and uh, and they go and bam and they go, oh, we we didn't quite understand it. Why don't you get back up there and try it again? Um, this is probably why we don't do these things anymore. It's called a trust fall for a reason, right? Because you really have to have faith that you will be caught before crashing into the ground. Now, my experience in doing this is that time moves very, very slowly between the moment I start leaning back and the moment I'm caught, right? In a matter of milliseconds, I go from faith that I'm going to be caught to doubt that anybody's back there, to fear that I'm about to hit ground, and then relief to find myself caught in the arms of my friends. Sometimes, friends, we feel like we're falling. In life, your new parents on your fourth straight week or perhaps your fourth straight month of sleepless nights, and you wonder what in the world have we gotten into Quick, send it back, right? Um, It doesn't work that way. You stepped out in faith in a new job, and your pay is based on commission, and the first year is slow. 
And you have sleepless nights wondering if you will make it financially. Or perhaps you're a student and you're taking that extra difficult class because you you know it'll help you uh, get into that school or become an engineer or a doctor or whatever you want to be. And you're studying at all hours of the night. And you're hoping that you could just eke out a B. In those moments, you can feel like you're falling. And no one is going to catch you. It happens in our country and our world as well. There is plenty to lose sleep over. There are countless children who need loving homes to be adopted in. There is loss of life on the battlefield and on our streets. There is division and dysfunction in our families, in our relationships, and in our government. These moments can feel like we're falling. And finally, we can feel like we're falling in our spiritual lives as well. Whatever our personal situation, our cultural context, our inner thought life, all of these can lead us to places of doubt, of desperation, and eventually could lead us to desolation. It's in all of these, it can feel like we're falling with no hope of being caught. And our heart races and our joy fades and fear takes over. And it's in moments like these that we often ask questions like this, where is God? What do Christians do when we feel like we're falling? Because Psalm 77 is about a man who is falling. It is a psalm of lament. Now, a psalm of lament is a basically a poetic prayer petitioning God to resolve your present situation. It could also be called a psalm of complaint, which is why this is my favorite type of psalm. Because I'm really, really good at complaining. Just ask my wife. Um, Not about her, but just in general. I get righteous indignation. Oh, that was awkward. I didn't say that at the last service where she was. Smart me. Um, No, but like, I get righteous indignation in life. I get to, I love to complain. I love to argue. I love to state what is the right position. But see, the psalm of lament is not just about complaining for griping's sake. It's a complaint with a request, a a petition for God to act. And the Bible is full of laments. In the Old Testament, there's a book appropriately named Lamentations. Key word, lament, right? An entire book about it. In the New Testament, we just read this in our gospel passage, Jesus himself laments over the condition of the city of God. He laments over the uh, condition of, it, of Jerusalem and the people in it. He says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you? as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. He's lamenting the fact that the people are faithless and will not listen. In fact, a third of the book of Psalms, 
The hymn book of the Jewish and Christian people have some form of lament in them. See, lamenting is a uniquely Christian activity. We can lament over the situations of our lives, the condition of our world, and we can lament over the character of our faith. The fact that the Bible contains so many laments, it shows us two things. The first one is this. The lament psalms show us that God wants to hear from you. Even if it involves complaining or disappointment, if it involves personal sin or brokenness, or it even involves your wavering faith and doubts, God wants to hear from you. See, in the Psalms, God is portrayed more than simply Mr. Fix-It. He is the supreme listener who is interested not only in healing, but he's also interested in our pain. The second thing the Psalms show us, the Lament Psalms show us, and 77 will uh, flesh this out, it shows us that praying laments changes things. When you feel like you're falling and sorrow tempts you to turn from God, what will you do? And what Psalm 77 shows us is this, is that falling fosters faith in the believer. And this is what happens in the life of our psalmist. So uh, as we look at it, it'll be on the screens. You might have your Bible. You can open it up, turn on your phone, look at it. I would want you to follow along. And there are three things I want you to notice from this psalm. The first thing is this, is that the psalmist complains. The second thing is he considers. And the third is he finds comfort. He's falling, and for him, falling will foster faith. And falling can foster your faith as well. So the first thing is this, he complains. The complaint is an essential part of lament. Now, we're not privy exactly to what's happening in the life of the writer. What we're, uh, what we're pretty certain of is that some sort of national crisis is happening in the life of Israel. Israel is both the people of God, right? And it is also a nation living among other nations. And so some sort of national crisis is happening. And it is having an effect on the writer's spiritual life, on his faith. And his complaint isn't simply about the personal crisis because he makes no specific mention of it. There are plenty of other psalms where the writer says, here's my situation, I need you to act in this specific way. That's not the case here. His complaint isn't simply about the crisis, but his complaint is about whether God is actually there. I think this is something that we can all relate to at one point or another. God, are you there? Verse 1, it it begins a moving confession in the first half of this psalm. He cries out. Now, I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. We have the ESV on the screen, but the New Living, I think, helps us out here. Here's what verse 1 says. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. See, he's hoping that God will hear him. The first thing he says is, oh, listen to me. Verse 2, there are sleepless nights in prayer in which he desires not just uh, comfort, but he desires resolution. Verse 3, he's tormented by anxiety, that all, so much anxiety that all he can do is moan. 
What does it say? When I remember God, I moan. And the next three verses don't get any better. He's so troubled in verse 4 that he cannot speak. And because God is keeping him awake at night, he has nothing else to do but to think back to better days. And then by verse 9, he wonders if God has abandoned him altogether. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Basically, he's going, God, are you done with me? See, that's the greater lament when we're experiencing hardship and we're petitioning God and he's not speaking. We go, where are you? Are you no longer active? So that when we are suffering, and we do, and we will, you do and you will, when God is unresponsive, and sometimes it seems like he isn't, the greater lament is not about our situation, but it's about God. Uh, Mark Vrogop, in his book, Dark, uh, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament, he wrote this, Laments turn toward God when sorrow tempts you to run from him. When you turn to God and you make your complaint, it is actually an act of faith. You're not denigrating God. You're not disparaging his name. You're actually turning to him and going, look, I expected you to be here. I expect you to be here. I expect you to hear me. And I'm going to keep calling out to you until you do what you've shown me you will do. See, lamenting is not some sign of weakness, but it is a sign of faith. See, we trust God that he can do the things for us that we cannot do in our world. We trust that he can help us in difficult situations. He can tr- you can trust him that he wants to bring uh, 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 unity in our world through him and through the cross and through Jesus. And so when we face difficulties in our culture and in our family and in our own spiritual life, the lament is a complaint meant to show faith. So laments turn us towards God when sorrows tempt us to turn from him. And so the first thing the psalmist does is complain. Second, the psalmist considers. He considers how incomparable God is. Both in his character, he's holy in person, but he's holy, right? And in his mighty works. It starts in verse 5. He considers the days of old, the years long ago. He thinks back to the songs of praise he used to sing. He thinks back to the time when God wasn't distant. At least eight times in this passage he says he will remember, he will ponder, he will meditate on who God is and what God's done. See, he's doing more than just making a list of pros and cons. Over here, God created the world. Over here, the world says I should do this. Over here, God, you know, so that we're just going, okay, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll not. We're not making a list of pros and cons to convince ourselves. No, the psalmist is pondering deep within him the things of God. And when he does this, when he thinks about the character of God, when he thinks about all the things God has done, all the ways in which he's shown grace and mercy, it moves him from his current difficult situation to medit- uh, from his current difficult situation to actually being able to recount the specific ways God has redeemed him and the people of Israel. Verses 11 and 12. 
I will remember the deeds of the Lord, he writes. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. See, he considers who God is and what he's done as he waits marvelous deliverance from his current situation. The third thing is he finds comfort. Falling fosters faith. As he ponders God's work, as he meditates deeply on his mighty deeds, as he then recalls how God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He thinks about the most, the biggest example in the history of the people of Israel to date. It was the most difficult time in their history up until this place. They were enslaved and under Pharaoh's thumb in Egypt. And it starts in verse 15. He says this, or in verse 15 he says this, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. See, all of this pondering, all of this meditating, and he comes to this conclusion that God caught his people. They were falling, right? This is the image. They were falling. They were enslaved. They, were, uh, not, they had no freedoms, and they were going to die in, in captivity. And yet God caught them with his arm when they were falling and their future was faltering and their faith was failing. God, with his arm, redeemed his people. See, they didn't see it coming, right? They were looking at the Red Sea in front and Pharaoh's army in the back. And certainly they must have thought, you know what? There is absolutely no way this is going to end well for us. But there was. And it brings in verse 19 the psalmist to acknowledge this. And he says this, verse 19, God's way was through the sea, his path through the great waters. When you are going through difficult times, when you face hardships of all kinds, when God seems to be silent and inactive, he is not. The Israelites, they couldn't see a way out, but God was actively leading them through the great waters. He controlled the wind, he controlled the waves, he controlled the lightning and thunder, the water. In fact, in Exodus, I think it's chapter 14, it tells the story, the wind comes from the east and it blows the water and it stands up so that the people of God cross the sea on dry land. And the psalmist, he's considered this, and it's brought him comfort. And the last stanza of verse 19 is really key. See, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. In the midst of their turmoil and in the midst of our difficulties, God's way is often through them and not around them. And though we cannot see the signs of him leading us, He is, though we cannot see his footprints. It was God who is leading them through the sea. Verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See, we don't know exactly what God's doing in those moments. But the promise of the scripture is that he is with you and he is leading you through it. Falling has formed faith in the psalmist. And it can form faith in you and me in these moments. I think there are three important things that Psalm 77 
illustrates for us. It illustrates the importance of three things. The first is this. Recognizing that God often leads us into difficult places and through difficult places in a way that require us to give up control and to trust him. At some point in every situation, we lean back and trust that he's got us. Second, it illustrates the importance of knowing the scriptures and knowing God's word. Not just simply little snippets of it, but knowing the whole of God's word, the Bible. It's there that we find uh, the list of his mighty works. It's there that we discover his character, how he's guided and guarded his people. Ultimately, it's where we read about how he sent his son into the world to save us from death. If you want to face challenges of life with faith, the best way, the only way to really do that is by knowing and remembering God's word. Keith Brooks writes this. He says, the memory of the cross is always the handmaid of faith and the foundation of all prayer. Knowing the story is always the handmaid of faith. It is essential for us to know and remember God's word. Finally, Psalm 77 shows us uh, how important it is to know and remember our own stories and our own life of faith in Christ. Uh, Recently, I read a story about a man named Ronald Dunn. He was a missionary, and he kept a record of answered prayers and special blessings uh, in a little book. He had a little journal, and he just wrote down when the prayer was answered or God blessed him in some way. Somewhere along the way, he lost the book and uh, found it again several years ago when his faith was uh, falling and and his faith was floundering. And he was surprised because he had forgotten so many of the incidents he wrote about. And as he was reading, something happened to him. He goes, my memory of God's faithfulness was revived and my sagging faith began to recover. He said, remembering had restored my confidence in the Lord. What do you need to remember this morning? What is helpful to you? Maybe you're not going through a particularly difficult time, but what are the stories of your faith? Where has God acted? What do you need to remember so that when you are experiencing a lamentable situation, you might remember that and have your faith encouraged? Because falling fosters faith. When we consider his character and his history, And his promise to not leave us alone, it actually draws out of us a place of praise. So as we worship this morning, maybe you want to remember a spot where God has acted. And maybe that will turn your heart to him in a special way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you do not leave us alone. We do thank you that you lead us even though we don't see you. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to prayers of lament, that we might uh, turn our desire and our complaint to you, that we might consider your redeeming ways, and that we might find comfort in growing faith. In Jesus' name, amen.